Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders nobody would have chosen And they changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I'm just a nobody Let me go down, down, down in history As another blood-bought, faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus Let me go down another blood-bought faithful member of the family and if they all forget my name well that's fine with me i'm ready for the world to see nobody but As they sang that song, John chapter 3, verse 1, as John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must de decrease. It's not about us, is it? It is about our Lord and Savior. And today I hope that we can worship Him in, spiritual, in spirit and truth. We want to welcome you here to East Taylorsville. Just a couple quick announcements. This Thursday is Halloween night when we have, typically have our trunk and treat. And if you've looked at the weather app on your phone, it changes every day, but right now they are calling for rain. But we will send out a phone tree message, I'm sure, this week to let you know if we will be inside in the gym or if we'll be outside. But we want to thank everyone who brought candy today. We have been overrun on, in our bins, and thank you for being generous with that. Um, also want to thank you for all the coats that you've brought to Coats for the City. It's a partnership with Randy and Debbie Smith in New York City. 
Uh, we've got a group going up there to partner with them and to help hand out coats. It's an evangelistic outreach. So um, they are going to be collecting until next Sunday. If you have any old winter coats that are still in good shape and you'd like to donate those, those bins will be available all week. But right now we want to welcome all of our visitors and just remind you before you leave, if you are visiting, to please stop by our guest table. We have a gift bag. Has some information on our church, and we'd love to put that in your hands and have a record of your visit. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to please stand. Take just a minute. Welcome your neighbor to the service. Say hello, hug a neck, and let's prepare hearts for worship.
privileges we have as Christians is that we can pray. We can not only pray for ourselves, but we can pray for our family and we can pray for our friends. So at this time, we're going to open up this altar for a time of prayer. And you may want to come as an individual. You may want to come as a family. But I would encourage you to pray for our service. So as the choir leads us in this song, if you'll meet me here at the altar, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit. prayer we first and foremost want to tell you that we love you father we thank you for grace mercy love goodness kindness faithfulness all those things that you show to us each and every day father we're so thankful that you hear us when we pray father we're praying in the name of jesus our resurrected lord and savior and father i lift up every prayer request here this morning father we know that you're the answer for everything any person faces and father i pray that you would help people lord today father there are people in our congregation that need your touch physically and uh, Jesus, I just pray that you would touch them, Lord, and bring healing in your own time and your own way. Father, we have members who need your touch emotionally. Uh, Lord, sometimes those are the hardest hurts in life are the emotional hurts. And Father, I pray that you'd be their refuge and strength. And Father, there are probably people in this church this morning who've never placed their faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you'd open their blinded eyes and save them and let them see the glory of salvation. And Father, I pray that this would be a new day for them. And Father, I pray that you continue to be honored and glorified in this service. Lord, the offering we're about to, to take, Lord, as we give, it is an act of worship. And I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. And pray that Jesus' name would be exalted throughout the world because of the tithes and offerings of this church. Father, continue to bless the choir. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, as we share your word in a very important topic this morning, Father, I pray that you would, you would challenge us in your word. Lord, you would convict us. Lord, Conform us into your image. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. And Father, we just want to tell you that we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Holy Spirit.
Thank you, Kaylin. Has the singing not been a blessing this morning? We're so blessed here to have wonderful music. So let's thank the choir for their hard work. 
Each month we, uh, we highlight a, a ministry or a missions group that we're supporting. And this week, this month actually it's been Forgiven Ministries. And it's one of uh, my favorite ministries. I've uh, kind of went to and fro with Scotty, I guess since 2002, maybe even before I even come to East Tales of Baptist Church. And I've always said it's hard to tell Scotty Barnes no, and you never know where you're going to end up when you go with Scotty Barnes. But uh, I really appreciate Scotty, all the Forgiven Ministries staff. Uh, when you tithe, a portion of your money goes to Forgiven Ministries. You can also give individually. Uh, and, and another thing is Scotty's been blessed to have several books. I have two in my office. And I'm going to ask her to come now and just talk about the book that she has now. And you'll have an opportunity to purchase this book after the service in the elevator lobby if you'd like to. So let's give Scotty a hand. Thank you so much, Scotty. Love you. Jamie for giving me a few minutes of his time, but I want to thank the church for embracing the mission of Forgiven Ministry for so many years. You enable us to take Jesus to the prisons and to the children, to the families. We've been doing this 25 years, Jack and I. Yeah, we're old enough to retire. I thought when we got ready to retire, we'd be at McDonald's eating with all the young people biscuit and gravies, but boy, did I get a change. We're in prison, so that didn't work. The choir sang this morning exactly what this book's about. I'm a nobody trying to tell somebody about Jesus. This entire book was written to share Christ and his power and his love for those that read it to see what he can do in your life. I knew I was to write a book for, about my life for 10 years, but I didn't dare write it till Mama was gone. That would have been a disaster. But about three years ago, a little lady, five foot tall, white-headed, walked in my office, never seen her in my life, and she said, I'm here to write your book. And I said, dear Jesus, what in the world did you send her for? I did not want to write a book. It took me a year and a half to put my life into this book. Jack Barnes has walked with me every step of the way, and I thank him personally today in front of all of you for all the miles we've traveled together and all the heartaches we faced and all the bumps in the road never one time has he complained about any of it if you want to know more about Jack he's got right much in here but let me tell you it's not a book of all happiness you see my first husband left me and my two girls and I didn't want to live any longer I wanted to give up but God implanted a verse in my heart that lives within me today it's Proverbs 3 5 through 6 and he said he would direct my steps. At age 13, a root of bitterness began to grow in my heart, and it entangled and ensnarled everything in my life. No one knew it. I put on a mask every Sunday. No one knew it when I was teaching Sunday school, the bitterness that was in my heart. But at age 41, I laid that bitterness down at the foot of the cross. At age 54, I surrendered my life to full-time service, whatever God wanted. And there's a verse they're going to put on the screen. Jack and I claim this verse, we, we repeat it so much. But I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is what? Let's say it together, our reasonable service. I didn't know that till I was 54. I'd heard it, but I didn't embrace it till I was 54. There's only been one time I wanted to quit. And it's in the book. It's the chapter called The Toothless Line. We were in Bogalusa, Louisiana. The most powerful man in politics in the state of Louisiana had confronted me the day before. He was going to take over the ministry, and he was not giving me but one choice, that I give it up to him. 
I could not do that, and I knew I couldn't, and I didn't think I had any fight in me. I was tired. I wanted to go home and see my children and my grandchildren. I went to bed that night, and I said, Jack, this will be the last camp we do. I'm going home. But at 3 a.m. in the morning, God woke me up like a lightning bolt, and he gave me a verse of scripture. If you'll put the next one up. Very plainly, through the Holy Spirit, he spoke to me. Do not withhold good from them to whom it's due when it's in the power of your hand to do it. I bowed my head and I said, God, forgive me, and I've never wanted to quit since. I'm 73 in December, and I'm just as passionate about what I'm doing right now as I was when I was 20 and 30 years old. Because of that verse, it drives me daily. If you want to cry, you want to laugh. I was in the, one of the little children that went to the white church back here, the first church ever built. I'll tell you stories that are going to make you laugh. A lot in here about Pastor Jennings because he was my pastor. He baptized me. He, he married me and Jack. You want to cry? There's some sad things in here too. I prayed for my father 32 years. Please don't give up on your lost loved ones. God can save them. So this is my story. Wasn't easy to write, and some of you are going to find it, some stuff in it you didn't know about me. In fact, a lot of stuff. I'm never perfect. I'm just somebody trying to tell somebody about Jesus. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, to turn to Lamentations. Lamentations, that's in the Old Testament. And you say, where is it at in the Old Testament? Good luck. You can find it by the time I'm done reading, and you'll feel stand with me. And as you're finding Lamentations, I just want to thank Scotty Barnes once again at Forgiven Ministries. All the money for her book goes to Forgiven Ministries, so I want to encourage you to support her ministry. What you believe about God will determine everything about you. It will determine how you face hard times. It will determine how you face good times. It'll, it, your, your view of God will really dictate the course of your life. And since July, we've been talking about the attributes of God. And this morning, we're going to talk about the faithfulness of God. And in Lamentations, as you know, uh, is a song that Jeremiah wrote. It's basically about five songs. 
And it's a song that he wrote after the Babylonians had came and really destroyed the city. It's awful what they did to him. But he understood it was an act of God's punishment on the nation of Israel that God promised them for years was going to happen. Jeremiah preached for 40 years about it. And it's finally happened. But notice what he says about God. After all the lamentations in the first two chapters, he says this in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. You know what he's saying to us today? I know who God is. I know exactly who he is. In the darkest day of my life, I recalled to my mind who God is and I have hope. Friends, if you have an elementary view and knowledge of who God is, you're going to have a hard time in this life. You're just going to have a hard time in this life. You're just not going to make it. Paul told the Hebrews who were struggling so much because he says, it's time to get off the milk. It's time to grow up spiritually. And what Jeremiah is showing us here is there's a man who has grown up. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope, though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies were not consumed, because his compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Notice that. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says this, regardless of what's happened, I don't know what my future holds, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, I pray that you'd give us, Lord, a greater understanding of who you are. Lord, your faithfulness just really can dictate everything. Lord, all your attributes are tied to your faithfulness. And Father, I'm so thankful in a a world that is so faithless and unfaithful. Lord, you remain faithful. So Father, I pray that you'd encourage us this morning to understand that, Lord, regardless of what happens in our life, that if we have a relationship with you, you'll be faithful to us through it. Lord, every promise you have made in your word is true. And I pray that we cling to those and live those out. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. And we love you tonight in Jesus, or this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people say together. Amen. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. I would say this, one of the greatest causes of ministry. Now listen, I've been in ministry since the 90s. Counseled people of all walks of life, different situations. The greatest cause of ministry and heartache today is unfaithfulness in every aspect of life. Think about, just think about work, for example. You realize that you can work for a company and give 20 years of your life. And then they can call you into their office unbeknownst to you, and say, we've been thinking about this for a while, but we're just going to have to let you go. Where's the faithfulness in that? Where is the faithfulness? What about in your marriage? How many people have I counseled in Alexander County and the surrounding counties? I've I've had husbands and wives who've been married for over 20 years sit in my office and share some horrid details of unfaithfulness. And I've had spouse, one spouse look at the other spouse more than one time and says, I, we, I didn't realize you felt this way about me. I did not realize. I did not realize this was going on. I thought we had a happy marriage. Unfaithfulness. What about in friendships? You think you have a friend for life, and then sometimes they just turn their back on you, and it's over. But you know who will never do that? God. He's faithful. Aren't you thankful? Look at this definition of who God is. Faithfulness. This is from the Webster's Dictionary. Steadfast in affection or allegiance, firm in adherence to promises or in observance to duty. Look at some of the synonyms. Dependable, trustworthy, loyal, staunch, resolute, constant, reliable, 
true to one's word, keeps one's promises, true to and consistent to one's character, someone who comes through for you. Everything God says or does must be in accord to his faithfulness. He will always be true to himself. Think about this. God is faithful in all of his attributes. Not only do his attributes prove that he is faithful, but he is faithful in all of his attributes. And here's one thing you can't do, all right? And this is what churches do, denominations do. You cannot magnify one attribute over the other. You can't. They're all together. This is what churches and denominations do. Like some churches just preach about the love of God and that's it. That's why you have universalism where they say everybody goes to heaven. And we know that's not true. And then some churches just preach the wrath of God. Okay? It's all condemnation, hell, and judgment. You never hear of grace. And then some churches just speak of grace, the God of grace. And there are no moral boundaries. It's just do whatever you want to because God has shown grace to you. A.W. Tozer says this, This God becomes like cotton candy, which is all sweet, but eventually He'll make you sick and rot your teeth out. Right? Now think about that. What these churches have done is they've taken, made God lopsided in an image they like. They're looking at God through the wrong lens. He becomes a spineless, sentimental, old loving grandpa. And that's not who God is. Next week we're going to look at the wrath of God. We looked at God's goodness, faithfulness, love, all those things. And then next week you've got to look at the wrath of God. This is what Paul said to the church at Rome. He says, professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. It's not wood or stone, it's invisible, but we want a God who, look, who we feel like looks this way. But what you've got to understand is this, God is faithful in all of His attributes. And His faithfulness isn't shown. I'm going to show you five areas this morning real quickly. The first one is this, God's faithfulness is, is shown in His creation of this world. The reason we can sit here or stand here today is because God is faithful. Psalm 119 90 says, your faithfulness continues through the generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Science proves God's faithfulness. Just things that happen over, natural laws happen over and over and over again. We have no explanation for them. Think about the law of gravity. Aren't you thankful for gravity? If it wasn't for gravity, we'd be spinning off somewhere. We'd be floating around. It'd be hard to get. Imagine trying to buy groceries at Walmart if you're floating around. You can't do that. But we got gravity. One scientist says this. Gravity holds us firmly on the ground and also keeps the earth circling the sun. It draws rain from the sky and causes the tides. This mysterious gravity force continues to puzzle scientists even as it gives stability to the universe. How is gravity able to act across empty space and why does it exist in the first place? Science has never very, been very successful in explaining such natural laws. And he goes on to say this, the universal rules cannot slowly arise by mutation or natural selection they have been here since the very beginning. Gravity, as well as every other intricate physical law and constant, is actually an absolute testimony to God's creation and His faithfulness. You know what law is going to be working tomorrow when you wake up? Gravity. If you don't believe me, jump out of your bed and just see what happens. Okay? If you float, call me, but I guarantee you. Think about the law of thermodynamics. Tomorrow morning, two weeks from now, two months from now, six months from now, it's still going to be working. Gravity's going to be working. You know why Psalm 119 says your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. God is faithful in his covenants. Think about this. God said to Noah. Listen to what God said to Noah. He made a covenant with Noah after the flood. And he said this to Noah in Genesis 8, 20 and 22. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. 
although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I've done. Aren't you thankful? We should be thankful for that. And then he says this, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. You know what you're always going to have? Winter. You know what you're always going to have? Summer. You're always going to have spring. You're always going to have fall. I don't care if you eat steak or drive an SUV. It's always going to be there. You do realize that, don't you? You realize that 100 years from now, you're going to have winter. You're going to have snow. You're going to have all these things. God made a covenant with Noah. He says, I will not destroy the earth like that again. And you're always going to have the seasons because I made a covenant with the earth. There's no annihilation of the earth. When I was growing up in the 80s, 70s, there was a Cold War. All right, my mama told me that the Russians could mash a button and blow the earth up. And I, every night I'd go to bed and say, Lord, please don't let the Russians kill us. Okay? Isn't that a terrible thing to tell a kid? You know, that and the Skylab. Y'all remember the Skylab was falling? I said, it's going to hit us in the midnight. So, but anyway, God's made a covenant. God made a covenant with David. He says, through your line, I'm going to establish God's throne forever. And whenever uh, the angel come to Mary, he says this, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus has a kingdom that will never end. You know why? Because God made a covenant with David, and it will be. God made a covenant with Israel. Israel will always be here because God made a covenant with this nation. For whatever reason, his purpose is only God loves Israel. And whenever they scattered, God says, I will bring you back together again. And guess what happened? God brought the nation back together again because he made a covenant with them. God made a covenant with the church. Not a denomination, but the church universal. Jesus said this, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The one organism... That's going to last for eternity is the church. And then Jesus made a covenant with us in salvation. Matthew 26, 27. He says, drink from it all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God is faithful in his covenants. Notice what else God is faithful in. God is faithful in his word. Notice what Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I send it. God's word is so special. It's an amazing book. God says, my word, every time that it is preached, sung, prayed, whatever, taught, my word will accomplish what I want it to. Every time. That's why the Bible is so important. That's why I don't understand that people will spend their time and their money in a church that never opens the Bible. Isn't that amazing to me? I just don't understand that. I mean, you'd be better off doing something else with your life on Sunday morning than going to a church like that. It is good for salvation. Paul said to the church at Rome, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. David in Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, which means everything you need is here. There's nothing outside the Bible that you need. The law of the Lord is perfect. And then he goes on to say this, converting, which is a supernatural word in the Hebrew. It means something you can't do. It's something outside of you. Something happens to you that God does. Converting the soul. Only God can convert your soul, and he does it through his word. Now, if that is true, I like what Bart Ehrman tells his students at UNC. You know, he's an agnostic. He said he got saved when he was 15, goes to Princeton Seminary, becomes an agnostic, and then spends his whole life trying to disprove the Bible. 
And he teaches a religion class at UNC Chapel Hill. Mark's son just recently took a class with him. Well-spoken, very intelligent person. He'll ask his students in his Bible class, okay, how many of you believe, and he'll say this, that this is God's Word? And almost all of them raise their hand. Hundreds of kids in some of his classes. All right. How many of you believe God inspired this Word? And they all raise their hand. I mean, they're ready to fight with him, right? Then he'll say this. This week, how many of you read this book? Maybe 5%. How many of you ever read this book from cover to cover? Probably less than 1%. You know what he'll tell them? He'll chuckle and he'll say, So you're telling me God wrote a book and you never read it? He says, You're telling me by your actions you don't believe what you're saying. Now let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you read this book this past week? How many of you read this book from cover to cover? If this is God's word never returns void... Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. How much time have you spent in this book? Isn't it amazing? Men, listen to me. The money and time we put into our hobbies, and none of those things can convert your soul. Absolutely none of them. Ladies, think about the things you spend your money and your time on. How much time do you spend in God's word? God's word, he he said he's faithful to his word. Think about it. Parents, think about all the time and money you spend into your kids, whatever. How much time and money you just spend into their spiritual lives. This is an amazing book. Think about this. God has promised His Word will not return void. It will convert your soul. It will conform you into the image of Christ. It will give you direction. It can heal your soul. Now, do you believe that? God's Word will do this. It's the only supernatural book on the planet And I wonder how much time we actually spend in God's Word. A lot of the counseling I do comes from the fact that people do not not even read it. Don't understand it. I'm amazed that you can have a doctorate and whatever and you can't understand what Lamentations is about. I just don't get it. I don't understand that. I don't understand how a person can be so successful in business and then they'll come to me and try to get me to explain soteriology to them. I'm like, you just don't read it. You don't spend time in it. Listen, you can reform your life, right? I mean, I'm a living example of that. In my life, I've lost over 300 pounds, and I've gained 350 of it back. I can do that, okay? I have two sets of clothes in my house. I have the clothes where I'm trying to get healthy, and I have the clothes where I don't care. And I'm keeping those clothes where I don't care, okay, just in case I backslide, all right? You know, you can stop saying bad words. You can stop going to these places and that places, but you cannot change your life. You can't fake that. You cannot do it. We can baptize you 100 times. Only God can convert your soul, and he does it through his word every time. You know, if you're going to witness to somebody, quote scripture. I shared the story of the guy who writes a blog. He's a bunch of young guys that are really super intelligent Christians. He said his, his grandpa was an actor. He lived in France, and he, he shared some of the movies. He said his grandfather was so intelligent and so well-spoken. Now, the guy who's writing this is very intelligent and well-spoken. He says he just intimidated me. But his grandfather got cancer, okay? So he flew to France... And he says, I got a witness to my grandfather, who was an atheist, actually. And his grand, he says, but I don't know what to do. So you know what he did? He just took out the Bible. He says, Grandpa, I just want to read this to you. So the last time I'll get to see you. Last time I'll get to see you. And he read to him the plan of sight. That's all he did. Kissed him on the forehead and said, I love you. Okay. He has to go back to the States. About, I don't know, five days later gets a call. They have a funeral. Flies back over. The, the, the CNA that was with his grandfather said, son, I don't know what you did, but something happened to your grandpa after you left. 
said he started weeping, started praying. I don't know what happened. And you know what this guy says? He says, I, I trust that God, through his word, saved my grandpa literally on his deathbed. Do you trust this book? God does. I do. I tell you what, I would look to it. Notice this. i got to hurry. God is not only faithful to his word. God is faithful to his promises. Aren't you thankful? His promises. Look, think about this. We live in a world of broken promises. God is 100% faithful 100% of the time. What he says he's going to do, he's going to do it. And you can write it down. Numbers 23, 19. Uh, Moses said this to the children of Israel. God is not a man that he should lie. Aren't you thankful? How many times do you think you've been lied to? Now, I'm a pastor. I can't count on my hand the number of times I've been lied to. Okay? God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Paul said to the church at Corinth, no matter how many promises God has made, there are yes in Jesus. And then Joshua says this. At the end of, toward the end of his life, he, he spoke to his people and he says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel has failed. Every one was fulfilled. God's made some promises to you as well. You realize that if you're lost today and you reject Christ, God has made a promise to you. Notice this on the screen. The Bible says this. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is a promise God will keep. Look at the word found. It means they look for you. This is what found means. Nope. 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 Your last name is still. Don't have it. That's a promise God's going to keep. Because of the righteousness of God and the holiness of God, God does not threaten. He makes promises. God doesn't count the ten or count the three or count the whatever. Okay? God makes promises. He warns and is long-suffering, but He never threatens. Sometimes God moves slow and is impatient, but He's faithful to keep His promises. The writer of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect or reject so great a salvation? You're not going to. Jesus made this statement. He says this, then he said to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is a promise. He's also made a promise to us, Christians, that if you sin, and what I'm talking about is not just sin, but you sin, and you live in sin. There's great guilt that comes with that. And you may say, well, God can't forgive me. I hear that all the time. Notice what John said. This is when he's in his 90s. And I think when you, John writes first, second, third John, he's like, I'm just done playing with y'all. And there's no, there's no gray areas with John. He's black and white. And John says this, if, and that's the, the key word. That's what I tell Christians all the time. God ain't going to pray for you. All right? You got to pray for yourself. If we confess. Look at the word confess. That means I agree with God about what I just did. What, what, what confession means is this. It's, this was not a mistake. I'm guilty because I did it. Do you understand what that is? You stop making excuses in your prayer life. And you stop blaming other people, and you say, I'm the person. That's what confess means. The majority of people that want forgiveness after they're saved, or cleansing, if you will, never get to this point, because they will not confess they were wrong. They just won't do it. They will not confess, they'll confess part of it. But what this word confess means, in the Old Testament, they'd have times of confession of sin. When Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9, he confessed the sins of his people. Lord, we were wrong. All right, That's what the word confess means. Okay, if you get to that point in your life, and most people don't, most people that come to the altar do not get that far. You're just like, Lord, I'm sorry I got caught. Or you say, Lord, I'm sorry for doing this, but you know in your mind, when you go back to that pew, when it comes Monday, you're going to do the same thing over again because you like it. That's what it means. But if, if you do confess, 
and you admit to God you're guilty. Okay? You admit to God you're guilty. And I'll say this. When I counsel people, here's how you get help. If you confess to each other, a life of deception, you'll never have victory ever. In your prayer life, you'll never have victory ever if you're trying to deceive God. You understand that? If we confess, which means, Jamie Steele, I did it, and I'm guilty, and I'm sorry. Lord, help me not to do it again. I'm begging you today to help me. I'm going to make it right. I'm begging you. He is faithful, and look at the word just. Based on the death of Jesus, it's a legal term. He is faithful, and he's just to do it. And forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful? Now, let me tell you something. This is, this is how I deal with my sin. If God has forgiven me, I could care less what you think. Why do I care what you think? I mean, who are you? Do you care what I think if God has forgiven you? You shouldn't. See, some of y'all, you say, well, the community, I've had people say this, the community knows. Did you, did you ask God for forgiveness? Yes. Do you mean it? Yes. Who cares what the community says? If they don't gossip about you about that, it'll just be something else, right? Because they're going to gossip about you. All right? So look. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When's the last time you felt clean? I mean, really. I mean, when is the last time you've been cleansed by God? At this invitation, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I'll tell you what, in that pew right there, some of you, this is what I do. I'd confess my sins quietly and just get cleansed this morning and let the chips fall where they may. Or live in deception the rest of your life as a Christian and never have the victory you can have. You want to be clean? He'll clean you up. He has promised in his word to do it. Okay? Only God can do that. And then the final thing is this. God is faithful in trials. Notice our verse this morning. For 40 years, Jeremiah proclaimed that judgment was coming and nobody listened. He said, Babylonians are coming. Nebuchadnezzar came. Took the finest of, the, of them. This was so wicked. If you read the first two chapters, this was such a devastating thing. They, they really ransacked the city. They, they surrounded the city. They starved them out. Cannibalism was happening during this time, just like when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Now listen, the original Hebrew title in Lamentations is from the first word of chapters 1, 2, and 4. It's the word how. Now listen to this. How in the world can this ever happen? How could God allow this to take place? It's meant to convey a sense of profound shock prior to 586 when they were besieged and surrounded, when they were starving, they were reduced to cannibalism, the cream of Judah's citizens were taken into captivity and they couldn't worship God anymore because the temple was gone. Lamentations does not question God because Jeremiah wrote it and he knew why it happened. It does not question God's justice in destroying Jerusalem the book sees the Babylonians as God's instrument. Lamentations does not accuse him of injustice so much as it asks for his mercies. This book is five songs of mourning. In Jewish culture, it was normal to write a song when you're mourning. As a matter of fact, 2 Samuel 1, David writes a song. Like Tommy Nelson called it the song of the bow. I'm not real sure why he does that. But David sings about Saul. Saul tried to kill him. David sings about Saul because he's mourning over him. Okay? Now, that's what Jeremiah's doing. He's writing a song because he's mourning. Think, one scholar says this, a dark moment is precisely the time to remember God. That's why he says in verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. This is so opposite of the way the world thinks. Sometimes the world will say this, this I recall to my mind, therefore I wish to die. In your darkest moment, put your hope in God alone. Aren't you thankful that our hope is not a wish? It's a no-so. 
I know God is here. I know God can take care of me. I know that when your life falls apart, God is still God and God can always be trusted. Who or what are you going to trust in if you don't trust in Him? And I'll say this to you. For those who are separated from Christ, when you go through tragedy, there's really nothing but despair because you have no hope that the grave ultimately cannot take away from you. Think about that. If you're here today without Jesus, when you go through tragedy, and it's going to come, trust me, there really is nothing but despair because you have no hope that the grave ultimately cannot take away from you. Um, I like watching atheists and Christians debate. The Christian's halfway smart, okay? Because a lot of them at debate aren't. But man, I, I, I remember watching, I think it's Christopher Hitchinson because he was so funny, right? And I've read a little bit about his life and prayed for his salvation. And I, I think maybe he did get saved. I don't know if he did or not. But I do know what he said before he died. He says, you know the thing about you Christians, he got cancer. I think it was throat cancer and it was bad. And he says, they tell me I'm going to die. You know, it's a very intelligent person, so to speak. Made his money off being an atheist. And he says, the thing that, I, that I, uh, I'm jealous of about Christians, he didn't talk about the other religions because he thought they were all false anyway. He says, I don't even pay them any attention. He says, you guys have hope in your illnesses and I have absolutely none. Now think about that for a minute. At the, at the very bleakest part of my life, I have no hope. You know, if you're here today without Jesus, you don't have any hope. Absolutely, positively none without Christ. And I would encourage you, while you have your senses, while you're above ground, while you have a good mind about you, place your faith and trust in Jesus. You don't want to be laying in a, on a hospital bed, medicated out of your mind, people trying to witness to you. Friends, I want to tell you something. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Why would you turn down a God that's good? Why would you turn down a God that loves you? Why would you turn down a God that is faithful? Why? Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed, for just a few moments. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I quote a promise at the end of almost every service. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise God has made. And if you, if you call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you can be born again and be saved. And that would be my prayer if I were you today at this altar. You can come forward at the end of the service. Or you can talk to me this week. I'd love to talk with you about that. Also, Christian, listen. Confess your sins to Jesus. He is faithful and just to cleanse you. There's no counselor that can do that for you. This preacher can't do that for you, okay? Just can't do it. There's no me not enough medication in the world to fix that for you. But today, you can leave here clean because God is faithful and just if you're honest with Him. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, this is your time. These are your people. And Father, I pray that you be honored and glorified because of what happens at this invitation time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon and the choir leads us in the song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Just as I
Thank you so much for your attention. I'm going to ask, uh, we have two families going to church, going to join the church this morning. So I'm going to ask Todd and Nancy if they'll come up here first. And they have their little grandson with them. And they've been coming to East Hills Baptist Church for quite some time now. And uh, uh, been through the new members class and very faithful. I really thank a lot of Todd and Nancy, known them for a long time. They come to join East Hills Baptist Church. Do we have a motion to accept them as members? Do we have a second? All in favor, raise your hand and say praise the Lord. All right, guys, we're going to give you a brick. Very honored to do that. Honored to be pastor, too. And next, we have his son, Daniel. Their son, Daniel, and Peyton Fox. They come this morning. They've been coming to East Hillsville Baptist Church for quite a long time as well. And they've been through the new members class. And I thank a lot of this couple. And just want to say I'm going to be honored to be your pastor. And uh, love y'all very much. Do you have a motion to accept them as members of East Hillsville Baptist Church? Do we have a second? All in favor, raise your hand. Say praise the Lord. Well, guys, welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Hey, one, one of the themes last week was last week and not a blessing. Wasn't you thankful for the families that came up here and talked? And one of the themes was this is home. One way you can make new members feel like they're at home is if you'll just come by and shake their hand. So instead of just running out the back and going to Mexico, Vejo, or wherever you're going, uh, when I dismiss this, please come down and welcome them to East Tales of Baptist Church. Guys, love y'all. Thankful to have you as members of East Tales of Baptist Church. God bless you. You're dismissed. Care tonight is at 5 p.m., okay?